0: on Monday The dying world outside These walls Within our hearts He planted a seed A love we can count on For everything we need But safe in our seclusion How can we grow when outside these walls are fields we need? There was-
1: In the Bible today, the book of Genesis, chapter number 18, the book of Genesis, chapter number 18, Genesis 18, the subject today is how God punishes sin. I haven't preached along this line in a long time, and I've been thinking about this and working on this. How God Punishes Sin. When I think of that title, I think of a story that uh, um, I heard one time. I think It may have been Dr. Lakin. I don't remember who told me this. He said he was at a church, and a man came up to him and said, um, I'm glad to meet you, preacher. I, am the, I want you to know I'm the meanest man in the whole world. And the preacher said, well, that's good. We're glad to have you today, yeah said, I'm from the meanest state in America. And he said, uh, I came from the meanest town in the meanest state in America. And I lived on the meanest street in the meanest town in the meanest state in America. And the further up that street you go, the meaner people get. And I lived in the next to the last house. And so the preacher bit well, who lived in the last house? He said, my wife, folks. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I've been afraid to tell that until just recently. You know, I had to, but I treated Norma real well for Valentine's Day. So <laughs> I figured I might have a little grace today and get away with that. I'm glad to see you here with us today. So I'm glad you have your Bible. How many of you have your Bible with you? Hold up your hand. Did you dress properly for church here? The way you dress properly here is you bring your Bible, and you check the preacher and see if he's preaching from it. Genesis chapter 18, will you stand with me? And it's going to be a very little brief uh, text here. I usually read far more Scripture, but I want to read from verse number 23 and 25, two questions that Abraham asked the Lord. And Abraham drew near, verse 23 And he said, Lord, will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And in verse number 25, he continued, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. I know you're not going to do that. And that the righteous should be treated as the wicked, that he be far from thee. And then he asked the second question, and this is the message today. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Read that phrase with me again. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? One more time, everybody. I want you to get that in your mind. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And thank you, and you may be seated. Now, here's the background to that conversation that the Lord and Abraham were having here in Genesis chapter 18. God had it just informed Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. And Abraham was really very, very concerned because he had family there. If you remember, he had a son, or a nephew rather, named Lot there, and who had a family, so several kin people lived in Sodom that were related to Abraham. And so he asked those two questions. First of all, Lord, you're not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked, are you? And secondly, will not the judge of all the earth do the right thing? And what a question. I believe that Abraham's question is the question of many people today and have been throughout the years, multitudes of people. I believe down in our hearts, often we say, will God really do right? Can God be trusted to absolutely do the right thing? And lurking, I think, in the minds of many people, though they never express it, they're not going to say it, but lurking down in their minds, Is this vague suspicion, maybe even a little bit of dread, that God can't be absolutely relied upon to do right? Will the judge of all the earth do right? A profound question when you think about it. Now, the reason that a lot of people have that suspicion and that dread that God may not do the right thing. Regarding their loved ones and their friends, or even themselves, is I think there is a very distorted view of hell as the Bible teaches it. And that many people's ideas of hell came from Dante's Inferno, or from some secular literature source, or from television. I distinctly remember watching a program and I preached about it. It so touched me that back years ago, I was watching one of the late night uh, television shows and they were talking about hell and uh, they were sarcastically laughing about it. Uh, Well, I know if I'm going to go, all my friends are going to be there too and you're going to be there with me and they joked about it. and You hear that kind of conversation from Ignorant people sometimes about the nature of hell and its punishment. And people have a distorted view of hell. I've also heard Baptist preachers, to my chagrin, get up, and by the time they got through describing the punishment of sin, they had made God into some sort of divine torturer. Well, that's not who God is. You didn't get that from the Bible. They have made God into some sort of sadistic fiend who is going to enjoy torturing people in hell forever. That's not what the Bible teaches. Get your ideas about everything about the Christian faith from the Bible. You don't get them from a preacher. You don't get them from a book, a movie, a conversation, from Dante's Inferno. You get them from the source, from God's Word itself. If you'll always do that, you'll be very balanced. You'll be on safe ground. And because of this distorted idea of how God punishes sin, um, that we make him this sadistic torturer of some kind, there's a lot of people that are skeptics. I have read many times from different sources. I don't know. I can't find out if it's precisely true, but I've read it, and I think there is a great uh, amount of truth in it. That more people become atheists and skeptics because they misunderstand how God's going to deal with sin in hell than over every other reason. And so people, if, if that's the God of the Bible, boy, I don't, I don't want anything to do with him. And they just block him out. So today I want to try to correct those distorted views. And I want to ask that question Will the judge of all the earth do right? How will God judge the sins of the lost? Now, I'm speaking today about the sins of lost people. I'm not talking about the sins of Christians, and I need to say that right up front. Because if you're saved, if you are saved, God has already dealt with your sins at Calvary. But if you're not saved, I'm talking to you. And if you don't know if you're saved, then I might be talking to you. And If you have a loved one or a friend who is not saved, as a Christian, you need to understand their peril and you need to understand how to be able to talk to them. So, how does God punish sin? Will the judge of all the earth do right? Can we depend upon that? Number one, if you're taking notes with me, there'll be three points. Number one, God will punish all sin. God will punish all sin. And let me lay that down as an incontrovertible fact. God, as judge of the universe, not only will punish sin, He must punish sin, ladies and gentlemen. Sin must and will be punished because the Bible teaches something about God that is so vitally important. I could just tell you right now, but I want you to turn in your Bible because I want you to see this with your own eyes and grasp it and understand it. Would you go to the book of Isaiah in your Bible, chapter number 45, Isaiah chapter number 45. And the point is that God as the judge of the universe must and will punish sin. And in the book of Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21 is a long verse. Tell me and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who has been saying this down through the centuries? Who hath told it at that or from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. Now, here's the phrase. I want you to mark this in your Bible. A just God and a Savior, and there is none beside me. And my point is this, a just God. Underline those three words in your Bible today. God must and God will punish sin because God is a just God. So God's holy character is at stake here. God's character demands that he deal with sin. Now, he must deal with it in a just manner. He must deal with it fairly, but he must deal with our sins, the sins of lost people. God, you see, the Bible, the main thing the Bible tells us, the first thing about God is that God is a holy God. He is absolutely pure. He is unlike anything else and anyone else in the universe because he is absolutely holy. We can talk about some person and say, he or she is a holy man, a holy woman, but that's only a relative term. But only about Almighty God can it be said that He is absolutely holy. But He's not only holy, He is righteous. And He is just. Now the word righteous and the word just, just in the Hebrew language is translated in all cases just in the in, in your Bible. So here it says that God is a just God. He is a righteous God. And if he is judged, if he is just, he absolutely is obligated to punish sin. If he does not, his own moral character, it would be called into question. If a judge were to knowingly allow someone to commit a crime and then not judge it and deal with it, then the blame would be upon the judge himself or herself. And in the same manner, God is a just God. He has a responsibility, a moral obligation to deal with every sin. But not only must he do so, he has promised that he would. Now, I wish I had time to look up and explain in a little more detail some of these verses. But I'm just going to put these up here. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 14, it says that God shall bring every work into judgment. There's a promise of God. I'm going to bring every work of man, every deed into judgment. In the book of Romans chapter 1 in verse number 18, for the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of sin. Sometimes here in man's system of justice, people who are guilty get off. People who are guilty, they go free. Their sins are never requited of them. But I want to tell you that in the economy of God and in the divine system of justice that nobody will ever get off. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And all unrighteousness of men, every single sin will be punished and punished justly. But maybe the most important verse on this, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 2 because I'll use this for a few minutes. If you would go with me there, Hebrews chapter 2 in your Bible, there's a verse of Scripture that through the years I've referred to many, many times. I want to make sure, though, that you see it and that you mark it in your Bible Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 2, if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Notice that, my friend. Every transgression and every act of disobedience will one day receive a just, you see the word, a just, a fair recompense or payment of reward. God has promised that he would punish all sin. That message is not being preached today in America. We've gone soft on sin. We've gone soft on divine punishment and righteousness and judgment. And you can go and hear lots of Preaching and lot, read a lot of Christian books, and you will never see, you will never see mentioned or hear mentioned, the idea of that God is a holy, righteous God, and to retain His own righteousness, He absolutely must be just. He must punish sin. So to answer Abraham's question in Genesis eighteen and twenty-five. Will the judge of all the earth do right? Answer, Isaiah 45:21. Yes, the judge of all the earth will do right because the judge of all the earth is a just judge. We know that sometimes justices or judges are, it's revealed that they're not just, that they've taken bribes. That's part of the human condition that the judge himself is flawed. But when we deal with God, we're not dealing with a human judge. We're dealing with the holy, righteous, just judge of all history. God will punish that. Number two today, I want you to see how God will punish it. And if you're taking notes with me, there are three specific ways I'm going to show you from the Bible I hope your finger's still in Hebrews chapter 2 there. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, and that last phrase, every transgression and every disobedience received a just recompense of reward. I think that's one of the most important phrases in the New Testament. You You can ponder that a long time before you'll get all the truth from it. And that tells me this that punishment number one will be according to the number of sins committed. How will God punish sin? He will punish sin by the number of sins that people commit, the number of sins that are committed. Let me me tell you a a, a little story to illustrate this. Let's imagine that in the same town there's a young boy, young kid. He's 16, 17 years old. And I delve into the background of this, this young boy. I find out his mother died when he was a little small kid, just, just a little tiny boy. I find out that his daddy was an atheist and an alcoholic. Never took him to church. Never gave him any moral training. Never showed him the way, just sort of let the boy grow up and do whatever he wanted to do never was exposed to the church, doesn't know anything about the Bible. And let's say that in the same town, there's a a man who's 70 years old, older man. And this man, we delve into his background a little bit, and we find his parents were godly people, that when he was a child, his parents took him to church every time the door was open. They reared him in the things of the Lord. At their home, there was regular prayer. There was Bible study. He grew up knowing the Bible stories. He knew up, grew up knowing about Christianity, being in church, being around the right people. They saw to it that he got a good education. But somewhere along the line, his thinking went askew. And this old man, now 70 years old, back when he was a young man, had turned to immorality. And he had turned to unrighteousness and a very wicked lifestyle. He became a drunk He became very immoral. He lived a life of petty crime. And so here we have the young boy, 16, 17, never had a chance, had no training, no background. Here we have the older man. And the man now lived a life of drunkenness and crime, had every opportunity and squandered it when he was a young man. And now they stand before God. They both die on the same day in the same town. They stand before the judge of all the universe, and he judges them. Now, question, would a just God send that young boy and that old man to the same hell? I don't need to give you a long time to think about that. Your basic sense of fairness says Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This young boy never had a chance. Mother died. Dad gave him no training, never took him to church. He grew up. He was wicked as a young man, but he didn't live that long. His list of, of, of sins and transgressions are this long. This other fellow He dies, he's lived 70 years. He had every opportunity, every chance, every encouragement, every door was open to him and he squandered it and lived purposefully and intentionally a wicked life, rejecting everything he'd ever learned. His list of sins are this long. Now, what kind of judge would give them the same punishment? Well, a basic sense of common sense and reason and just a tidbit of knowledge that God is a holy and just and righteous God means He can't treat them the same. Now, the average person on the street thinks that hell's one big hot place and there's Hitler over there and there's their, right, there's their moral neighbor right next to Hitler. Well, where'd you get that? You didn't get that out of the Bible. The Bible teaches that there are degrees of punishment in hell. Write that phrase down. There are degrees of punishment in hell just like there are degrees of rewards in heaven. Everybody's not going to be treated the same in heaven because God is a just God. Everybody's not going to be treated the same in hell because God is a just God. His character demands fairness and justice. He won't put a young man with a list of sins this long In the same punishment as a man with a list of sins, this long. Now, corrupt human nature reasons like this, and I've heard people talk like this. I've heard these conversations on the television or radio. I've heard them with people that I was, I've even had people tell me things like this. Sort of look at me and smile and say, well, preacher, if I'm going to hell anyhow, I might as well just live it up. I'm just going to go on out and party and pop my cork and have my good time. And, and you know, if you're going anyhow, you just might as well go, go in style, huh? No, you're a fool to think that. You, sir, are, or you, ma'am, are a fool to reason like that. Excuse my directness, but I just, I don't know another way to say it. Reason tells you no, stop, halt. Common sense tells you no. Because if God is going to punish every sin, why do you want to keep piling them up and increase your punishment for heaven's sakes? Stop. Add no more. Punishment will will be according to sins committed, but punishment will, will be in degrees because God's justice demands that fairness. There's a second way. Punishment will be according to light and to opportunity. The punishment of sin for the unsaved will be according to light and opportunity. Would you turn with me, please, to the book of Matthew in your Bible? Matthew chapter number 11. And the Lord talked a lot about this. I'm reading this passage. There are two or three more. There's one in Luke. There's one in Mark. These are sprinkled through the New Testament where Jesus is talking about Punishment will be according to the light that people had and the opportunity that people had. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Then began Jesus to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, where he had done his miracles, and there were just a few, you know, most of them in, in Galilee and Jerusalem. And he upbraided them or criticized them because they repented not. Now the words of our Lord himself. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, why they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Now mark that phrase, more tolerable, those two words. More tolerable, that's a comparative term, isn't it? It's going to be more tolerable for the people in Tyre and Sidon who did not see the miracles of Christ than it will be for the people of Chorazin who saw his miracles where he lived and worked. He continues, And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted into heaven, you will be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in you have been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day... I say unto you again, it shall be more tolerable, circle that in your Bible, more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. You know what Jesus is saying? The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were more wicked than the people of Capernaum. Now, listen to me. Think, you get, think about this. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were more wicked than the people of Capernaum, where Jesus lived and ministered. However, the people of Capernaum had light and opportunity. And the people of Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have any opportunity. And Jesus said the people with the greater opportunity, less wicked, but more light, more opportunity, they will receive a greater punishment. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah, it will be more tolerable for them. Listen to me. For every ray of hope, or for every ray of light that you and I have had on this earth, for every opportunity, for every Sunday school class we ever sat through, for every sermon we gathered and heard the word of God, for every song that where the gospel was sung, that was light, and that was opportunity. For every time someone handed us a tract. And talk to us about our soul. For every time you ever heard the gospel, you and I have had light and we've had opportunity. And you know what? The greater the light and the opportunity, the greater the responsibility, my friends. If you're reared in church, as many, if not most of you were, if you were taken to Sunday school as a little boy and a little girl, if, you're, if you were brought up especially in a church like this where the gospel is literally hammered constantly, if you went to Florence Christian School where every class is open with prayer and the Word of God is spoken frequently, I want to tell you, if you do that and you reject that and you become a mocker and a scoffer, you don't want to stand before God squandering that light and squandering that opportunity. You don't want to do that. I talk to people, they say, I'm not interested in that right now. Some of them even profess to be Christians, but there's dust on their Bible, and they're cold and indifferent about the Lord and His work and spiritual things and the condition of the lost around them. I'm not interested in that right now, preacher. I want to tell you, you're on thin ice You may be a very morally good person, but you've had light, you've had opportunity. And Jesus said it's more tolerable for the people that didn't have the opportunity than for those of us who've had so many chances. The third way God will punish sin, punishment will be according to the character of the sin. It will be according to the character of the sin. Turn to the book of John with me, please. Chapter number 19, John chapter 19, and here's the setting. Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall. He and Pilate are talking about uh, about his situation. And in John chapter 19, verse number 10, Pilate said to him, Speakest thou not unto me? Won't you answer me? Don't you know? that I have power to crucify you and I have power to release you. And Jesus looked at him and said, you have no power at all against me except it were given you from above. Therefore, he that hath delivered me unto you hath the greater sin. He that delivered me unto you. What is he talking about? Who delivered Jesus to Pilate? Well, Judas did. Do you remember? He kissed him in the garden to identify him. And Jesus said, he that delivered me to you has the greater sin. There's a difference in the character of sins that people commit. Who delivered Jesus to Pilate? Caiaphas, the high priest, after Judas kissed him and he was arrested, he went to Caiaphas, the Jewish priest. He didn't have any authority for capital punishment, so he sends him to the Romans. He wanted to kill him, but he couldn't. He didn't have the authority legally, and so he sends him to Pilate. Now, Pilate stands here and sneers, don't you know I have the power to crucify you or to let you go? And Jesus said, you don't have any power at all unless you it was given to you from above. Your very life in your nostrils is because of God's grace in your life, Pilate. But even though you were sinning, Caiaphas and Judas delivered me to you, and they committed even a greater sin. Now, notice that right there, or note that in your Bible. Circle those words, the greater sin, the greater sin. All sins are not the same. Do you get that, folks? All sins are not the same. Uh, We preachers, I, again, may have confused this because we preach sometimes and tell people, look, one sin is enough to make a sinner from you. How many times do you have to steal to be a thief? Once. How many times do you have to kill to be a murderer? Once. How many times do you have to sin to be a sinner? Once. True. That's true. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. However, we're not talking about just sinning once here. We're talking about sins and comparing many sins and their character, and all sins are not the same. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is talking to the scribes, and he says, or he's talking about the scribes to the people, and he says, these, referring to the scribes and Pharisees, the hypocritical religious leaders, they shall receive greater damnation, greater damnation. All sin is not the same. And you and I, who have had so much knowledge and so much opportunity, and the people in America where there's Christian radio and Christian TV and churches on every corner, we've had so much opportunity, so much light. And we go on and sin and we blow it off. Oh, you know, all sin's the same. If you sin, you sin. The proof that it's not is that in the Bible, God did not say all sin is the the same, therefore everything gets the same punishment. The fact that different sins receive greater or lesser punishment is proof that God doesn't view them as being all morally equivalent. The sin of murder can't be equated to the sin of shoplifting, for heaven's sakes. Common sense tells us that. So there's a different penalty for murder than there is for shoplifting. All sin is not the same, and therefore all punishment is not the same. We have a term today, you hear it bandied about a lot, moral equivalency. And I want to say there's a lot of false moral equivalency in the church and in Christian circles today. I, had, I, I got into a debate one time with a, a, a young man. You preachers always talking about people drinking and getting drunk. You never talk about gluttony. And I said, well, look at me. It's not a problem, number one. But number two, you're telling me that gluttony, you're trying to make a moral equivalency between gluttony and drunkenness? How many kids how, how many how many men are living under a bridge because they ate too much? How many car wrecks have you ever seen because the driver was fat? Come on. Reason, scripture, common sense tells me you're just wanting to justify your drinking problems. Amen. The character of sin will be acknowledged by God. Some sins are greater than other sins. So how does God judge sin? Now just listen and reason with me and think about what the, scripture, the Scriptures we've read. God totals up the number of sins committed. He evaluates our heredity and our background, the light that we've had, and the opportunities that we've had, the times that we rejected the gospel. And he evaluates the character of the sin. And then, I want you to notice with me lastly, the judge of all the earth himself. Let's talk about the judge for just a moment to get the complete picture because we're talking about how God punishes sin. Now, review with me in your mind. Number one, all sin will be judged because God is just. He must judge sin. He can't let, he, he, he can't let it pass and still be a just God. He will punish all sin according to three factors, according to the total number of sins committed, according to the light and opportunity that we've had throughout our life, and according to the character, the type of sin that it was because some sin is worse than others. Now let's think about the judge. So who's the judge? I was at the courthouse down here one day years ago And I was standing out there, and uh, they had drawn a jury pool, and I forgot why I was there, but I was out there. And a couple of people had charges against them. And one person came outside the door, a woman, and she said to a friend who also had, both of them had charges against them, what judge did you get? Meaning, which judge is assigned to your trial? And the person answered and said, oh, I got so-and-so. And she says, Oh, man, that's great. You're lucky. And she meant that that judge had a reputation for being lenient, more lenient than some of the other judges. And then somebody else said, well, who'd you get? And they said, "Uh uh-oh. Boy, that would chill you, wouldn't it? Uh-oh. You're going to stand before that judge? He's a hanging judge, as they used to say in the Old West. (laughs) He's going to punish you to the fullest extent of the law. And they're standing there talking about the nature of the judges, the character of the judges, that some of them are very, very stern and right down the line, and some of them are more lenient, and they were comparing the characters of the judges. Do you know who our judge is going to be? You ever think about that? I, I think average Christians say, well, God. In the book of Revelation, chapter 20, it says, I saw a great white throne, and he that sat on it, from whose face the earth fled. The earth fled. The people of the earth fled. Overwhelmed by this awesome, austere presence of the judge. Turn to the book of John. John with me, please. John chapter 5. A little verse of scriptures tucked away there that perhaps you've never thought about. John chapter 5. And verse number 22, the words of our Lord himself. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment to the Son. The Father judgeth no man, but he's committed all judgment to the Son. Now look up here with me. I don't want you to miss something I'm going to say. I don't know that you've heard it very many times. The one who bore... Your punishment on the cross will one day hand down your sentence. The one who bore your punishment on the cross will one day be the sentencer. What an awesome thought. I don't know what that will look like, but in my mind, I picture this big mahogany bar. (laughs) This is not Bible. This is Bill. But I just have a mental picture that he sits there resplendent in his white robes. The nail scars evident in his hand. And this person comes who is a Christ rejecter. And the lovely Lord Jesus, the judge of the universe, leans forward not with a look of anger or a look of disgust, but a look of questioning, like, I don't understand. And words something like this proceed from his lips. You mean that after all I did for you, You mean that after I left heaven and for 33 years gave up the glories of heaven and lived on this sin-cursed earth? You mean that after I was born in that stable with the cows and the chickens? You mean that after you were instructed and taught, you rejected me after you heard about me dying for your sin? And with a look of hurt and puzzlement, how could you do that? How could you reject the one who died and suffered for your sins? And he says, depart from me. Depart from me. God will punish sin. He will punish it according to the number of the sins committed. He will punish it according to the light and opportunity, heredity, and environment. He will take into account the character of the sin itself. And because he is just, every person will be treated justly. Nobody will be punished more than their sin would require. And nobody will be punished less than their sin will require. I'm speaking about the people who have rejected Christ, not the sin of the Christian. I'll talk about that in another message real soon. Our heads are bowed. You have heard my message this morning on how God punishes the sins of lost people. The message was specifically directed to those who do not know for sure that their sins are forgiven and that they are Christians. But you know there's no reason for you to ever be punished for one of your sins in eternity because the good news, which we call the gospel, is that Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's people who have not received Christ as Savior. Every one of us have sinned. We're all sinners, but Christ took our place. Christ became our substitute. And that day on the cross, he voluntarily and willingly was punished for my sins and for yours. And not for just part of them, but for all of them. And if today you are willing to turn from your sin and to turn from him, In the church, we call that repentance. If you'll turn from your sin and turn to the Savior, if you will trust him and depend upon him, rely upon him for your salvation, he has promised you that he would come into your life, that he will save you, and that your sins will be covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ from what he did on Calvary that you'll be forgiven and you'll have eternal life. My, what an offer. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that includes you, whosoever believeth in him, depends upon him, relies upon him, that that person will have everlasting life. Right now, right where you are, just pray that prayer sincerely and from your heart. You may be able to get on your knees. That would be best. But if you can't, you could be anywhere, and you just, from the heart, cry out to God and ask him to save you. And then after you do that, I would so much appreciate it if you would let me know about it. You could email us or give us a phone call or write us a letter, however you choose to communicate. But the reason our church sponsors these programs is that we want to tell people who have sinned that Christ is the answer and how they can have this glorious new life that He offers. So let me know if you've received Christ as your Savior. And if you'll let me know that, we'll send you some literature that'll be helpful to you as you begin your Christian life. Thank you, and God bless you.
2: Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Baptist Temple Hour. If you would like a copy of today's program, send your request and payment to the Florence Baptist Temple, P.O. Box 12809, Florence, South Carolina, 29504. Be sure to include today's date in the title of today's message, and please allow two to three weeks for delivery. For more information about the Florence Baptist Temple, visit our website at www.fbt.org. We also want to extend to you an invitation to join us in person. Sunday school starts every week at 9 a.m. and the service begins immediately following at 10.30. Once again, the church family at the Florence Baptist Temple wants to thank you for tuning in this week. and We hope to see you next week for another edition of the Baptist Temple Hour.